I'd like to look at uh, Revelation 21 this morning. We're going to look at Revelation 21, 1 through 11, and then skip over to 22 through 27. Here's the, let's read the word of the Lord together. Um, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no death shall Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Move now to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would quiet our hearts before you right now. Lord, I pray that you would take away all the distractions from our minds that you would help us to focus our attention on you, on your word. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that you would strengthen our faith in you. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of sin, and I pray that you would show us the forgiveness of the cross through Jesus Christ our Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray too that if there's anything that comes out of my mouth that is not true, that you would give people here dull ears to hear it. 
But Lord, open our ears to that which is true. Your word, which is living and reviving to the soul. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. If you were to go to Acts chapter 1, you would read about the account of Jesus' last moments here on the earth, where he ascends up into heaven. And it is at this point that uh, Jesus is, is rising, up, rising up to heaven, and his disciples are, are looking upward as Christ goes up. And if you were to go back to, to the Gospels, uh, just you know, a few moments before, you would, you would see that you know, the disciples were there with Christ. They didn't quite understand that he had to leave them. And then he was crucified. He was dead. He was buried. And how sad they were to see their Savior crucified. But then imagine the excitement that they had when, he, when they realized that he is, he is risen from the dead. But yet, just a few days later, there again, Christ is ascending up to heaven. And they're left standing there, looking upward, wondering, what, what's going on? And it's at that moment that two angels appear, and they remind the disciples that Christ is coming back. You know, how quickly we forget that Christ is coming back. How quickly we forget the gospel. You know, it's just this, this past week, as I, as I remember the, the many ways that I have fallen short so, in so many ways, bad thoughts, uh, saying things I shouldn't say, doing things I shouldn't do, or experiencing the, the funerals, uh, the heartache, the pain, the suffering, I need to be reminded daily of the gospel. I need to be reminded daily that Christ is coming back. We all need to be reminded that we are under Christ's lordship and we are his bride and his church. John, here in Revelation 21, describes to us what that looks like. He describes to us uh, what it is for us as the bride of Christ. And so there's, there's three things that I want to look at this morning. One is no more sin. Two, it is finished. And three, the holy city. If we were to go back and look now at verses 1 through 5, we would read, it says, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. John tells us that he sees a new heaven and a new earth, and there is no more sea. There are two significant things that are happening here. Uh, first is that we see that Emmanuel is with us. The promise is being completely fulfilled. What the prophets had spoken about uh, is, is now being completely fulfilled. God's dwelling place is no longer separate, but with us. Now, it is true that, that Christ dwells in us now, but in spirit only. But there will be a day when we will see him face to face. There will be a day that we see him face to face for all eternity. The second thing that we notice here in verse 1 is that there is no more sea. Now, if you're like me, this is sad news in a sense because I love 
the ocean. I love fishing, I love swimming, I, I love surfing, I love all of this about the sea. But this is not what John is talking about here. The sea here is symbolic, and, that, and it sets the tone for the rest of this chapter. The sea was seen as a place of darkness, a place of sin, a place of chaos. It's where Job mentions of the sea monsters uh, living and coming forth. If God is with his people, there will be no more sin. There will be no more chaos. I'm reminded of, of Genesis 1, 2, where it says that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was ho hovering over the face of the waters. In the very beginning, we see that there was no structure, there was no form, and God took this and he created the earth. He created us. In the beginning, we see, we get the sense that in the beginning, there is uh, no order, that there is chaos, that God was hovering over the waters. And so in Revelation, we see the end, don't we? And we see that God is doing away with the sea. He's doing away with sin. He's doing away with chaos. Then as we move into verse 2, it says, and I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We are given the imagery here of the bride of Christ as the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the holy city, and it is where the saints dwell. It is perfectly adorned for her husband. There are no blemishes in her whatsoever, a few weeks ago, or I guess it's been a month or so now, I, I was able to officiate my nephew's wedding. And it was actually the first wedding that I've ever done. Uh, I, I just never had the opportunity before. And so one of the things that struck me as I'm standing up front is that I got to witness the bride coming down the aisle. And as she walked down the aisle, I noticed, you know, her, her dress was perfectly white. You know, she looked absolutely dear and pure, and, and what an image that is of how we are presented as the bride of Christ. One of the, the greatest things I love about weddings is that the symbolism of portraying how we are the bride of Christ, how beautifully we are adorned for Christ. And it's not anything that we have done, is it? It is all of Christ. And we are presented spotless because we are the bride of Christ. One of the things I, I love doing is, is going camping and hiking, being out in nature. Uh, we're going to New Zealand, which if you've seen the movies, you've seen it's gorgeous. That's not why we're going to New Zealand. Uh, but I love just being out in nature, seeing God's creation. The funny thing is, though, is, is that when, you're, when I've been out, and it seems like in the middle of nowhere, I, I'm looking around and, and something will catch my attention something that seems out of place. And as I look closer, it's, it's a piece of litter, a piece of plastic. And I wonder, how, how in the world did this get here? And they say, you know, plastic never decays. You know, you have, you have nature, and it seems so perfect, so beautifully adorned, but yet there are blemishes in there. But there will be a day where we will be presented spotless, without blemishes. In verse 3, we read, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God 
is with man. If you remember back to Matthew 6, we read uh, the Lord's Prayer. Right? The disciples asked the Lord, teach us to pray. How are we to pray? In his first petition, he says, thy kingdom come. Well, here we see the completeness of this happening. His kingdom coming. God is with man. Jesus taught us to pray, and the first thing he asks us, tells us to pray for, is the Lord's kingdom to come. We are to pray this until his return. We see this happening in Revelation 21, don't we? Well, why, why would God ask us to pray for thy kingdom to come if he is sovereign and he is in control and his kingdom is going to come? Why does he ask us to pray this? Well, there are several reasons. One is that our hearts are weak and we must be reminded continuously that this is God's kingdom, right? We are, we are to be reminded that, that he is coming and he is putting an end to all sin, to all suffering, to all pain. We are reminded, we are to be reminded that Christ has conquered sin and death and he is making all things new. Now, you might have heard this phrase before, the already and not yet. So we are in the already right now and the yet is still to come. And so, you know, Christ has conquered sin and death, but there is still sin, there is still suffering here in the world. And so we are to continue to pray, thy kingdom come as earth as it is in heaven. We are continually to pray for thy kingdom to come, to be seen throughout the world. We are to pray for God's kingdom here in this community, that Trinity would be a light in the darkness, that you would be a light to your community. We are to continue to pray for the nations, that God's kingdom would be displayed among the nations. We see here in Revelation 21 of it coming to completion, God's kingdom coming, God's dwelling place with man. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There is no more sin, and God is making all things new. We do battle with disease every day, with sickness every day. We have physical elements that we battle with, don't we? A few years ago, uh, my life changed forever as we were in Thailand. As I was lifting this really heavy box, putting it on top of our car, I, I injured my neck very severely. And it, is, it has changed the way I live. And there are days that, that I experience pain. And some of you today may, may experience chronic pain that you deal with every day. You know, some of us also deal with depression every day. Some people deal with anxiety, with fear. All of this is because we live in a fallen world. We have death all around us, don't we? We have friends and family that are suffering. Many years ago, when I was 13, I went on this missions trip to Uganda and Kenya. And uh, as, as we were traveling from Kenya to Uganda, we stopped to eat a sack lunch. 
I remember our team leader telling us that we need to make sure you eat all of your food, including your apple core, which is kind of different. You know, you don't usually think of your apple core as, as food necessarily. But he's, he made a mention to it. Make sure you eat your apple core. And as we stopped to eat lunch, these children came running up to us, these little Africans, and they were starving. Their hair was orange, their stomachs were bloated, and they were asking for food. And one of the, the guys on the team, uh, he ate his apple and threw the apple core on the ground. And as it rolled in the dirt, one of those little children ran over and grabbed that apple core that was covered in dirt and climbed up into a tree with it to eat it so the other children wouldn't take that away from him. And I remember that day so vividly because that was a day where I really began to understand what it means to live in a fallen world, what it means to live with, with the effects of sin all around us. But we are told here in verses 4 and 5 that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. In verse 5, he says, and, behold, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. There will be a day when there will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. Does this sound too good to be true? Does it just sound too good to be true? God knows our hearts, and that's why in the very next line, he says to John, write these down for these, write these words down, for these words are trustworthy and true. We need to be reminded, don't we, that God's word is true, that his promises are true, and that he is making all things new, that there will be a day that there will be no more suffering, there will be no more pain. We can have full confidence in his promise of a new heavens and a new earth, and that we will be a beautifully adorned for Christ. Let's move now to our next point. It is finished. Look with me at verses 6 through 11. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. There's a, there's a place in scripture that comes to my mind as I'm reading this, a, a story. Uh, and that is when Christ is sitting at the well with a Samaritan woman. And he's telling her about the living water. And he says to her as they're dialoguing that, that he has this water, this everlasting water, that she, she's thirsty you know, as he talks to her about the water. You know, she thinks of this physical water, but Christ is talking about something spiritual. You know, God has designed us to drink, to be thirsty, but there will be a day when we will no longer be thirsty, that we will be drinking from Christ. Now, we are drinking from that water right now. It is true because Christ is in us. Uh, but there, is, there will be a day when that is complete and Christ is there, that we see him face to face. Another part of scripture that I'm reminded of here is in John 19.30. 
when Christ hung on the cross, when he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. And what Christ was referring to was the fulfillment of Scripture in him. It is what the, the prophets had talked about. And as Christ sat, or, or as Christ hung on the cross, he said, it is finished, meaning that he has fulfilled all of Scripture, that the sacrificial lamb has made atonement for our sins. That, and likewise here, Christ tells us that he has made complete the full consummation of all of Scripture and brought all of the promises together to fulfillment. The new heavens and the new earth. He says that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Now, if you know Greek, the, the first letter of the Greek alphabet is Alpha, the beginning. Christ is saying that, that he was there before the world ever began. And he is the Omega, meaning he is there eternally. That there is no end to him. And that he is bringing to completion all he has promised. And we see this here in Revelation 21. That he is the Alpha and the, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And this shows us his eternality, his lordship, and his complete sovereignty over everything. Next, God tells us that those, if we go down to verse 7 and 8, he says, For the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We see that <clears throat> next God tells us that those who have overcome, meaning those who are in Christ, will be given water to drink from the spring of the water of life, which, says, which tells us in verse 6, and this shows us that everything we have ever needed will be met in Christ. We will drink from Christ. We will never be thirsty again. We will never have to do battle with sin again. And that is what Jesus was explaining to the woman at the well, wasn't he? That in him is life. You know, these things... We desire to see them now, don't we? It is tiring. It is tiring as we struggle with sin and temptation, as we struggle with, with the suffering that happens around us, as we deal with loved ones that are sick and dying. But there will be a day where, when God does away with all suffering. There will be a day when God does away with, with all temptation, with all sin. We are drinking from Christ now, but there will be a day when, when we no longer struggle with sin. There will be a day when we no longer have to go through suffering. That we will be completely satisfied in Christ. Do you long for this day? Do you long for this day? I, I do. You know, I do battle with sin every day. I do battle with the effects of a fallen world every day. And it gets tiring, doesn't it? day in and day out. And that is why when we go to Revelation 21 and we read that 
there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and that there will be no more suffering, there will be no more pain. And that is why in verse 7 we are told that we will be God's son, because there will no longer be any sin in us, that Christ has clothed us in his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he sees Christ. But then in in verse 8, we are told something very different, aren't we? We are told about the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, that their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is quite opposite than what verse 7 tells us, isn't it? And this is a warning to all of those who are not in Christ. And this list of sins here is, is, it's a list of sins that is inclusive of all sins. So don't think, oh, I'm, I, I don't do that. Um, I'm okay. It, it's, just a, it's just a list of, to show for all sin. And it's a warning for those who are not found in Christ. But it should also be a warning for us who are found in Christ as well. For us to examine our hearts and to see, yes, am I truly one of Jesus' children? Am I in Christ? We, we are covered as a Christian. We are covered in Christ's blood. So that although we are guilty of sin, Christ has taken our sin upon himself. So what verse 8 describes to us, if we are in Christ, we do not experience the lake of burning fire, do we? We do not experience the eternal suffering and punishment that those who are not in Christ will one day face. But it's also a warning to us to, to pray for those that Christ is calling to himself. We don't know necessarily who they are. Right? And that is why God has called us to go out, to go out and to preach the gospel, to go out and to share your faith. God is calling people to him from every tribe, tongue, and nation. When I read this, it it stirs in me a desire for to see the lost saved. It is a terrible hell, it is a terrible place. And, and God is sovereign, and, and he is the one who does the work in people's hearts. But he uses us, doesn't he? He uses us to bring that message to people. And so as I mentioned earlier, as we pray for thy kingdom to come, we pray for the lost to be saved. Look at uh, verse 9 with me. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. This is the lamb who gave up his life for his bride. The bride is also the holy city, Jerusalem. If we continue reading in verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Its gradience was like a rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. John is shown the holy city. And then in verse 11, John describes here the majestic radiance of that city because God's glory shone from it. And let us not forget that it's 
God's glory is in us, right? Christ is in us. And so we reflect his glory, that we are image bearers of God. The city Jerusalem is so radiant, not because of who it is, but because of who God is. John will go on to describe in more detail about the city Jerusalem. He'll show how it's perfectly made. The city has been made, and he will show the, again the complete order that God has made, that there is no more darkness. And as we move then to verses 22 through 27, it says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty in the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We see here that there is no temple because God is the temple and his presence is everywhere. Second, we see that there is no sun or moon because God will be the everlasting light. As Isaiah tells us, if we were to turn back to Isaiah 60, verses 9 and 20, Isaiah spoke of this. He says, the sun shall be no more, your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun, your sun shall, shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. This light will be a light for all the nations. And we are told that we will be a part of this light, the radiance of Christ that is going out to the nations because we are the bride of Christ, as we are told here. And we will enter the gates because they will never be shut. Those who are in Christ will enter and they will not be shut because nothing impure ever enters the city. So if you are in Christ, then you will enter these gates. But only those, only those whose name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, only those who are in Christ will enter this city. This has great significance to us, doesn't it? It shows, that, it shows us that if we have given our hearts to the Lord, that we can rest securely in him, Right? It, if, if you are in Christ, then your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. You can't go and erase your name out of the book. You can't lose your salvation. If you are in Christ, your name has been written in his book. But it also comes as a warning to those who are not in Christ, doesn't it? It comes as a warning because if you are not in Christ, then your name has not been written in the Lamb's book of life. And it means that you will not enter those gates. This is an amazing scene that we see here that John has depicted for us, that John has seen. And it's amazing that we will be a part of it. 
But as we wait for the return of Christ, what are we to do in the meantime? Are we to sit idly by and wait? No. Revelation describes to us, you know, a number of churches that sit idly by. They're called lukewarm. The Revelation describes to us other churches that have forgotten their first love, who is Christ. So what are we to do in the meantime? We are to be active. As believers in Christ, as a church, we are to be active. Christ has called us to love him and to follow him. What does he tell us? He says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So as we wait for the Lord's return, we are to love God. We are to follow him. And we are to love our neighbors. And this comes in so many different ways. And we're not going to dissect that this morning. But one of the, one of the very practical ways that you can love your neighbor is to pray for them and to show them love. You know, Christ was asked, well, who, who is my neighbor? And he gave the story of the Good Samaritan. And it breaks my heart so many times to, to go scroll through Facebook and to see just the terrible things that Christians say about their neighbors, about the Muslims, about the Buddhists, about those that, that don't believe the way they believe. And they're not showing love. We see the Samaritan who, who, who stopped by the side of the road to help this, this Jewish man that was bleeding and dying. He showed him love. And I'm not condoning Islam or Buddhism or these other things. I'm not condoning those things. But as Christians, we are to show our neighbors love, aren't we? We are to pray for those who persecute us. So we are called to love God and to love our neighbor. That is what we do as we wait for the Lord's return. And if we were to look back over this past week, over the past month, over the past year, no doubt you would remember much heartache, wouldn't you? That you would remember the sin, the suffering that you've experienced. And if you were to look to the coming week, the coming month, the year, no doubt you will experience more pain and suffering and heartache. But if we look to Christ in the future, we are given a hope because of his promise. We are given a hope because he is making all things new. We are given a promise that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We are given a promise that he will do away with all pain and suffering. And we are given a promise that if we are in Christ, our name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. There is a day that Christ will do away with all darkness, and he invites us to be his sons and daughters. And how precious this is, and what a joy to know that our name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. Let's pray.